It is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. This is another edition of Baseball Today. That is Jolly Olive. I am Chris Rose, producer Dan along for the ride as well. Trevor Plouffe is not along for the ride because it would be a bumpy one today. A little ill, a little under the weather, right in time for Thanksgiving. So Jolly Olive, always dependable. Thank you for picking up the phone, my man. No problem. Uh, thoughts going out to Trevor Plouffe's family. Uh, if they're getting sick, on Thanksgiving that it's got to be in the bottom three holidays to get sick on because it's it's all about eating and if you're feeling like shit you're not going to want to be stuffing your belly so hoping they can stay healthy but I'm good Chris Rose I'm happy to be here all right well thank you I would say pr- probably bottom one yeah I, I I'm I'll be honest with you I'm not so sure which other holiday I've been stomach virused on Christmas and it's oh, not a have. good time. And I, I had Valentine's Day in there too, because that's a very romantic, like you want to have a special night. If you're feeling sick, kind of ruins the whole vibe. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. Thought it too. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not a huge Hallmark holiday sort of guy. That's but fair. yeah, whatever. Didn't whatever. take it for one. I, I try to love my lady 365 days a year. You're a random flowers kind of guy. I, I, I can see it, you know? Yeah. Good call. Good call, Jolly. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, all the managerial vacancies have finally been filled. It's the reason I am donning the San Diego Padres lid today. Mike Schilt is taking over for Bob Melvin, who will remain in that division as the leader of the San Francisco Giants. You'll remember Schilt led the uh, St. Louis Cardinals for three and a half seasons before he was dismissed by John Mosaloc. So now he gets another crack at it, taking over a team that just went 82 and 80 after an NLCS appearance. Dude is ready, though. We're going to enjoy it. You know, we've got a fun group, you know, with the guys with a lot of talent. So, you know, I love it when Toddy does his moonwalk back to first base. And I love Manny Machado's million-dollar smile. And I love Joe Musgrove's passion for the city and his competition. And here's what I can go on and on. And my son Kim flying around the field, you know, um, playing the game the right way with a lot of heart and desire and, and talent. So, you know, we're going to get it. We're going to have a good time with it. We're going to play with some swagger, but we're also going to play with some substance as well. Jolly, is he the right man for the job? Well, there's a lot of things I like about it. One, obviously, is his prior managerial experience. He has playoff experience with the Cardinals. He led them on that crazy win streak back in 2021 before he was relieved of his duties, which I think shocked most people except for Cardinals fans, who I think a lot of them endorsed the change there. Uh, Schild I like because he's got a relationship with the players. He helped Tatis through his rehab he has a relationship with Preller, so all these things are good, but it doesn't change the fact that the Padres have had six managers in the past 10 years, which is just never a recipe for a consistent success. So every time you're going into this process, you're hoping that the hire will be the first for a long time. And Chris, you can speak because you had Terry Francona for over a decade just now, and only now you guys are undergoing uh, your first managerial change in a while. That kind of stability is super important to a team trying to build sustainable success. Uh, so I think they made a good call on Schilt, hiring internally, hiring a guy with bench coach experience and managerial experience. Uh, I don't know if there was a better move out there for them. Uh, personally, I would have liked to see Melvin stay because I, I just think he's a terrific manager and he has the track record to prove it. But I think the Padres did well here. Yeah, um, when Bob Melvin got hired there two-plus years ago or right around the same time a few years ago, I was like, that is a home run. Yeah. Like, you could not have handpicked a better guy to lead this flashy team to where they want to go. And that first season, we were like, they're doing it. They might, they might have been miles behind the Dodgers in terms of the NL West freeway chase. But when it came time for the playoffs – they took care of the Mets. Sorry, Jolly. They took care okay. of the Dodgers. 
And then they made it all the way to game five of the NLCS before bowing out. And I felt like, man, this is it. I got so suckered in. I even predicted that they would win the World Series in 2023. And then it all became a freaking disaster. Disaster. So I don't know. My answer to this question is, I don't know if he's the right guy because this is really on the players to turn this shit around. I got to be honest with you. They had one regular last year who had over an 800 OPS, and he's most likely about to get traded this offseason, and that's Juan Soto. So Manny Machado, I'm looking at you. Fernando Tatis, I'm looking at you. Jake Cronenworth, I don't even know what you are, but I'm looking at you. Xander Bogarts, I'm looking at you. They need to go change some stuff here, Jolly. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you worded it perfectly. There's only so much a managerial change can really do from top to bottom. And that's why I think keeping it internal with a, a guy that the players likely trust mm-hmm. and know it to this point is going to be super helpful for, for all these players that are going to need to turn things around uh, on their own. But I, I think that, that going externally, again, it would have been a detriment to the team. Uh, I still think that, you know, two years ago, we were talking about the Mets getting Buck Walter and the Padres getting Bob Melvin. Both these guys are out the door to different pastures now. It's just it's so indicative of how much how much how chaotic a manager position can be in baseball, much less stable than basically all the other coaching positions. Um, so Schill, he's got another chance to prove himself, although the time that he managed last, he was very, very successful. So I think all thi- all signs are pointing to the talent rebounding on the San Diego Padres. I feel like this kind of thing can't happen again, possibly, right? But a lot will be told by the offseason they have, whether they're trying to offload payroll, restructure the team, or just kind of run it back and hope for different results. Yeah, because the team as it stands right now is not good enough, right? They have a ton of vacancies in that starting rotation, not just the two-time signing award winner, Blake Snell. We don't know if this helps or hurts or if it's indifferent on his return. Uh, Michael Waka certainly gave them solid innings. Seth Lugo is a guy that opted out. So they're going to be looking for some arms. But then again, you just heard that, yeah, they are interested in cutting payroll. So if they are interested in cutting payroll, that means that the guys that aren't going anywhere, that are getting paid $25, $30 million a year, have to be significantly better. And I don't know if that means they have to kind of look at themselves and say, what did we do wrong? Where do I need to get better? But that's the big thing for me. Uh, one other note, I am happy that Mike Shield is getting a second crack at this. I'm not always about the recycled manager or the recycled coach, but I mm. did feel like that guy got screwed a little bit, even if Cardinals fans were behind it. The old philosophical differences thing, like I thought that was weird. The guy won 56% of his games, which is pretty damn good. I think it was more so the fact that I, I, don't, I don't know that he was ever the long-term plan there, and I think that he maybe succeeded in spite of the the team's wants, the front office's wants, but it always kind of felt like uh, Ollie was going to be the plan. And they're, they're sticking with him after a really tough yeah. season, which I think surprised me even more than Shield getting totally. relieved of his duties. That is a great call. All right, let's move on to one of the prize free agents. He has officially been posted, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, so that means the teams have 45 days to negotiate with the 25-year-old. I know you did a big piece on him, right? That is out. So everything you need to know about Yamamoto, go check it out. Where can we find that, by the way? That's on my YouTube channel, Jolly Olive. Great. What is the most fun landing place for him? 
That's a great question because most fun does not mean most likely or best mm-hmm. landing place because you're going to have both New York teams in on this. You're going to have the California Titans in on this. No one's surprised there. I think even the Cardinals who we were just talking about might have some inklings to try and go get a guy for the top of their rotation. We'll talk more about that later. Um, for me, most fun means a, a team that is basically just as young as Yamamoto because he's in the very peculiar position of hitting free agency as a 25-year-old, even though he has seven years of Japanese baseball experience and very successful experience at that. So I feel like every time I come on baseball today, I somehow end up talking about the Baltimore Orioles, but that's the direction I'm going to go with this. I don't think this is going to happen by any means. I didn't mention them in my video of possible landing spots either, but I think it makes a ton of sense because you have a young up-and-coming team with tons of years of control on basically all of their great young position players and the entire narrative of their 100 win season was okay who's going to pitch in the playoffs who's going to get the job done who's going to give them five six seven quality innings and in the end they got swept for that very reason so they're going to need somebody to kind of lead this staff into the next era of baltimore baseball and right now you have guys like kyle bradish you have gray rod who's been great john means is coming back you have pitchers there but to have a guy like yamamoto complete x factor at the top of your rotation for what's looking like it's going to be a seven eight nine year deal he can really be the face of your rotation for the next possible five years of great Orioles baseball that we're all expecting to see. So I think that's the most fun answer for me. I think teams like maybe the Detroit Tigers who have been linked to some starters could also be fun here because they have a lot of young position players as well and mm-hmm. Torkelson and Kerry Carpenter. Um, but I do think it's going to end up with one of these big market teams kind of shelling out the extra year or the extra dough just to get the job done. Yeah, I thought a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks would be fun, right? I mean, yep. you go right to the top of the rotation with Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, and yet a team that made it all the way to the World Series with a bunch of young position players like that. This seems pretty cool. Um, I thought about the Seattle Mariners. Obviously, the link between Japan and Seattle in terms of baseball of has been very, very strong over the years. But, man, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing up there. It seems like they've got some infighting about players saying we need to go spend, 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 which would make sense here because it's going to cost some dough to get this guy. But I don't know if that's the most settled place I want to see him. So you know yeah. what's most fun for me? Let's just throw him into the shit show that can be New York and your Mets. <laughs> Why not? Kodai Senga was fantastic last he year. Was. He was like, he was where where everything else bounced around like this. He was this. Perfectly smooth. So dependable. You know, I thought he was awesome. And so why don't we put two guys from Japan right at the top of the rotation and rebuild this baby with Steve Cohen's money. I mean, I'd be a very happy camper and Kodai Senga definitely outperformed what I think a lot of people were expecting yes. for him after signing for more than I think people were expecting him to get. So if is it going to be the same exact thing? Not necessarily. I think this situation is a little bit more akin to Masahiro Tanaka when the Yankees got him on that big contract in the mid 2010s. But yeah, man, I mean, if you're trying to completely reset your starting rotation, which a team like the Mets very much needs to do, uh, this is the kind of guy you go after. Someone young, someone with a lot of X factors and someone who's had playoffs, uh, you know, experience in Japan and can be a proven winner and has someone by his side like Kodai Senga who can help him assimilate to Major League Baseball. So I've I've done a lot of fantasizing and dreaming about this already. You're, you're I'm way ahead of you. What do you think the percentage chance of him rolling into Queens is? 
You know, I mean, I thought Kodai was low and I was pleasantly surprised when it happened. So I'm going to temper my expectations a little bit because the competition, I think, is even more fierce for Yamamoto mm-hmm. than it was for Senga. I'll put it at a, a nice 25% right now because the Mets interest is pretty serious. They've made that yeah. known. Yeah. No, I, I think that's pretty high. And yes, I mean, hopefully. Do you know, is there a connection between Yamamoto and Senga? Yeah, they do have a, a pre-existing relationship. There's kind of a, a seniority thing among Japanese baseball players where if you come overseas, you want to be the only Japanese player on your team, essentially. Mm. It's kind of part of the baseball culture of it. But he's already kind of dispelled that rumor. that We had quotes from Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic that kind of showed us that he's perfectly open to playing with players like Shao Otani or Kodai Senga if it were to be the case, if it is the best deal. So that gives me a little bit of hope. Okay. Interesting. Interesting stuff. And this one's brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook. There's so much to be thankful for right now. Your family, your friends, food, uh, NFL football all week long. How about French fries? I'm always happy for French fries. Uh, The DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. And new customers can bet just five bucks on this NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Uh, So no matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and much more. You name it, they've got it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code BASEBALL today. New customers can bet five on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. With the code BASEBALL today, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposits, restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. See you there. All right. Um... There's a team out there that landed a pair of veteran free agents. The Cardinals, they bring back Lance Lynn, whom they drafted many, many moons ago and played about six or seven years there. He's getting one year for $10 million. Kyle Gibson joins on one year for $12 million. These are guys in their mid-30s, but do you like the start of the offseason for the Birds? You know, it's interesting because I think this this move these moves are getting a little bit of, of flack from Cardinals fans and understandably so they came off one of their worst seasons and you know these are not the moves that make you think okay we're back let's go right back into it let's go to war uh, I think these are more the moves you see at the tail end of an offseason kind of rounding out and saying here's some extra pieces we might need here's 150 innings here's 200 innings whatever um, I don't think they're bad moves by any means because I think Gibson was exactly what an Orioles rotation needed last year he gave them 180 plus innings to relieve some of the young guys like Tyler Wells and Bradish. And then Lance Lynn, we've seen him be great, even with the Dodgers last season. You you know, forget that last playoff start. When he first came over, he still looked like he had his electric stuff of years past. Um, but these are not the big rotation moves that the Cardinals need to be making. If you go on their roster resource, um, ever since Jordan Montgomery left, the thing is kind of in disarray. And that's why I included them in that Yamamoto discussion, because they really need someone high end if they're going to get back into this NL Central conversation. And that conversation is looking pretty weak because the Brewers want to sell off everybody. I mean, the Cubs are making all these big rumors. Let's see what they actually do. But it's still a wide open net that the Cardinals can cast to get back to the top here. But uh, these moves, they're fine as supplementary moves, but there needs to be something else on top of it to put it over the edge. Doesn't it feel like those are the, it's the type of moves you would have added one of these guys, if not both to a young rotation, right? That's exactly Kyle Gibson played 
the perfect role last year with the Baltimore Orioles. We had him on the Rose rotation. He said, I had no idea that actually the Orioles had this much pitching talent when I signed on with them. And he's a mentor. He's a good dude. He'll give you 175 innings. He's going to give up some home runs. But he ain't going to give up the number of home runs that Lance Lynn gives up. I mean, I had to <laughs> chuckle a little bit when you were like, well, we saw the Lance Lynn of old. I just thought we saw old Lance Lynn for 96% of the year. I mean, really, he made a handful of good starts when he got traded from the south side out to L.A. And then after, I mean, he had some blows, but I see one. I see eight quality starts when he came over to the Dodgers. It's just I think you're going to mostly remember what happened at the end, which is fair. That's totally fair because that was the worst playoff start you could possibly have and not what the Cardinals need. He gave up 44 homers and had an ERA of almost six. Yeah. And he got $10 million. It just doesn't feel right. Like if I were a Cardinals fan, I would I would be sitting here wondering what the hell we're doing because the only two guys they had in the rotation prior to signing those two dudes are Miles Michaelis, yeah, who's been up and down, but they extended him, and Stephen Matz, who's I don't know what's the I don't know how you describe Stephen Matz at this point of his career. So to me, it's four guys more with question marks than answers. Yeah, I mean, if I'm that's what I said. If I'm a Cardinals fan, I, I need another move because I'm not feeling great about this. I mean, I can probably bank on these four guys, you know, pitching the whole season, but that's not going to mean much if everyone's ERA is five and giving up four. God, 44 home runs is so many home runs to give up by yourself. So that really is an absurd number. And when you're pitching in the National League Central in some of those ballparks, yeah, look out, look oh, yeah. out. Um, I don't know. I would have thought like a Kyle Gibson would have fit, in my opinion, in a place like Cincinnati, you know, where he could give a young rotation some innings and be the leader of young guys who are trying to make it to the next level. I thought he would have been perfect there. I just don't. I I mean, I think you're spot on. I think if Kyle Gibson was a red last year, they might have made the playoffs. I mean, it's not like they were that far off. They needed somebody that could go every fifth day because they were just Mm -hmm. pulling anybody they could. Um, so yeah, I, I fully agree with you and teams like the Reds still need that guy. And I I believe that guy is still out there somewhere. The Cardinals, by the way, if you're keeping score, they finished 24th overall in team ERA, 26th in starters ERA. Not pretty, not pretty. All right. Hall of Fame ballot was just released at the beginning of this week. That's always fun. Um, leading the first timers is Adrian Beltre. And there are some people who are predicting that he will be the first position player to ever be unanimously voted in to the halls of Cooperstown. We will certainly see that. Um, the big question is, is Plouffe's old teammate, Joe Maurer, the next most interesting player on either Hall of Fame ballot among first-timers or guys that are returning on the ballot? Great question. I think first-timers for sure. I actually did a video about this earlier in the year. Because this case is very compelling. It's all about how you view uh, the value of the catcher position. It's a discussion we're going to have with Buster Posey as well when he's on the ballot as well, because former MVP, former catcher, makes a lot of sense there. And Joe Maurer's peak was among the best of any catcher you could probably find in the modern era. And when you go up and down the list of, of the other first-timers here, there's some great names. You got you know Matt Holliday is here, my guy David Wright is here, Chase Utley, all players who were fantastic in their own right. But I think you hit the nail on the head that Joe Maurer is the most interesting first year. But overall, when I look at the ballot, the name that still stands out to me that I really need to get in is Billy Wagner, man. Yes, I think Billy Wagner deserves it. I know that 
playing for a bunch of teams and being a reliever automatically adds a detriment to your case. But if Billy Wagner doesn't get in, there's a lot of other relievers that I also think are not going to get in that probably deserve to, especially the ones that are still active, like Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell. So I'm hoping this is the year that Wagner can get in because this ballot is not the strongest by any means. It's full of some of my favorite players ever, but there's definitely room for him to finally get over the hump and get the votes that he needs. So I'm hoping it's this year. By the way, as you get older, this is kind of the fun time of year where you, you see guys on a ballot whom you remember their entire career. Like you remember the exact day. You probably remember the day that David Wright came up. Oh right? my God. It's making me feel so old to see both him and yeah, Ray yeah, 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 about like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm allowed. Come on. It doesn't say <laughs> you can't say, well, it's making me feel so old. You can't say that. I'm the ripe old age of 24. Chris Rose. Come yeah, on. exactly. My oldest son is right behind you. So don't, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, a little perspective on Billy Wagner, because to me, that is the most interesting case. Although I will throw out one other name before we move on. Sure. He's in his ninth year of eligibility. And remember, you only get 10 years. It used to be 15 where you could be on the ballot. Right. They shrunk that down to 10 a few years ago. Last year, he made a monumental leap from 51% up to 68. That is a huge, huge jump. Remember, you need 75% of the ballot to get in. His ERA plus in his career, I could not believe this. And I don't know if you're a huge ERA plus guy. I am a huge ERA plus guy. 187. Yeah. For context, Raleigh Fingers, one of the great relievers in the history of the sport. I know different era. I know that he pitched multiple innings. Very, very different back then. 120. Lee Smith, 132. Trevor Hoffman, who was a one-inning guy like Billy Wagner, 141. So Billy Wagner is dusting these dudes when he came to that. And I felt like I always do the, this test, not just the numbers test. When I was watching this guy, did I feel like I was watching a Hall of Famer? Because I And this isn't a mm-hmm. shot at Greg Biggio. Not once did I ever feel like I was watching a Hall of Famer. True. But he was just so consistent and he compiled numbers. And I don't have a problem with that. But I never felt that way about him. When Billy Wagner came out, I was like, damn, man, this is special. And it feels like a Hall of Famer. I fully agree with you. And that's that's why I brought him up in the first place. Because, I mean, he came up in the late 90s, early 2000s, which, you know, there were some, some big offensive numbers in a lot of those years. And that was the start of his career. And, and he never really looked like he had any adversity to face. It, some of these Houston years. When you're talking about relievers, he's next in line uh, outside of the active guys that I mentioned before. So I'm hoping it's him because it's, it's kind of a bad omen going forward for other relievers that will hit the ballot. If he doesn't get in, in the next two years, the other most interesting guy, and I could have actually gone with him was Todd Helton. Okay. Yeah. Because he is a guy who played his entire career out of Coors field. And so how do people feel about the Coors field effect? And if he doesn't get in, I think it really says something. You know, we, we saw Larry Walker get in, but he started his career in Montreal. He played in St. Louis. Um, he did win his MVP out in Colorado. But you could see how great a player he was in other home ballparks. If they don't let Todd Helton in, and I do think that he was a Hall of Famer as well, then in my opinion that there is a bias against Coors Field that, that might not be shaken. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that bias is there, and that's why it took Larry so long to get in when he rightfully deserved it. Um, Todd has the advantage of staying with one team. I know that there's no 
calculated, you know, certainty to that. But I do think in the heart of baseball fans, seeing a guy walk in with a cap and only that cap has an effect. So I think Todd has that going for him. Um, but yeah, the course effect is going to be counted against him. We have park adjusted numbers that prove that he was an elite hitter, even without course mm-hmm. field at his disposal. His away splits for his career in certain years are also still extremely elite. Like he was a fantastic hitter. Um, so I think that with a weaker bout like this one, he's going to get his votes up for sure. Um, one more name I want to throw out there. And I think it's an interesting one because he was involved with the 2017 Astros. And it's, I think the first player we're seeing on a ballot that was involved with that team is Carlos Beltran. Cause mm-hmm. I do think that he is a very compelling case as well. He's a guy that bounced around to a ton of teams who knows what hat he'll wear if he does get in, but I'm very curious to see where his percentage lands this year, whether it's a stark jump or not. Um, because th- that opens up a whole can of worms with how we kind of reflect on that team and other teams in that era who have been since, you know, revealed as part of that cheating uh, but Beltron, uh, that's a name to keep your eye out for. Yeah, I think this year is the interesting one. I don't think anybody expected him to get in last right, year in right. his inaugural season on the ballot. He did get 46.5% of the tally, which is a really good number. To me, it's how many more votes? Like, are people, yeah. have they swayed their decision? Did they not put him on the ballot because they didn't want him getting in first ballot, which some people feel like is just held for the most special of all special players? Uh, so I do think that this is an interesting time to watch him if, if yeah. there's subst- substantial growth from year one to year two. Would you vote him in if you had a vote? I would definitely vote him in. I mean, 70 war, 400 homer club uh, has the accolades to show for it. Never was an MVP, but rookie of the year winner. Um, I, I think that people forget how good he was defensively in center field as well, well for as long good. as he was. Um, so I, I think he's got a perfectly capable resume especially considering some of the other guys that have gotten in before him but again it's just going to come down to the whole legacy thing because we've seen it with the steroid guys we've never really seen it with the team cheating scandal before unless of my memories deserving me so i'm very curious yeah well shoeless joe jackson i don't believe was on the ballot yeah i don't think he was so <laughs> that's that's different if you don't have the chance to vote for him a la pete rose then you yeah. can't vote for him right um i think of I think it's entirely the reason he won't get in if he doesn't get in. If he doesn't get in, yeah. I think I would vote for him. I think I would. I, um, man, that's a tough one, though. It's tough? Yep. Leave it to the writers, I guess. I'll, I'll guarantee you who's watching that one, Jose Altuve. Yeah, because he's another guy I would vote for, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. And oh, by yeah. the way, with if you go back and you do the all the homework on it, he's the one who said I didn't want it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's numbers to validate it, but that's, again, whole can of worms. Right. All right, last thing, uh, Ichiro. I think this is the second time maybe we've seen him do this, <laughs> where he has played, the 50-year-old has played against a an all-star high school girls baseball team over in Japan. He threw a complete game, got it up to 86 miles an hour, got a couple of knocks out there. Um, he also got struck out. Uh, on a called third strike, yep. which I don't he think didn't look he happy. Was, yeah, he did not look happy at all on the called third strike. Do you like seeing this or are you like, OK, this shtick is kind of getting a little. Old. No, I love seeing this because like what even is the context of this kind of exhibition game? And right. When can we start getting it over here? When can I start seeing Todd Helton take them out against some random high school team and just right. strike them out for fun? Because like that's great. That's that's a, a perfect uh, material for a fun viral baseball clip and also just cool that. 
Ichiro at 50 years old kind of still looks like he could probably be a fourth outfielder on your favorite team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. It's just the the salt and pepper made it makes him look like an aging, uh, you know, character in in <laughs> in an action movie or something exactly. like that. He's still but in his prime. I I love watching it. I love watching it. And the fact, I mean, we're not talking about. Listen, with all due respect to Todd Helton, you mentioned that name maybe because it was on the top of your brain. Sure. But I mean, this is Ichiro over in Japan. Yeah, then right? Ken Griffey the, might have been a better name. Exactly. That it's Ken Griffey Jr. going out and playing ball with these kids, but also taking it seriously. Because look at the look on his face. Yeah, he he's pissed. I get. He's never lost that competitive edge, which I love. Uh, he's dude. not laughing that off. I dig it. I dig it. All right. Last thing before we go. The only two answers for this are overrated or underrated. Oh boy. Thanksgiving Day meal. Oh. Oh, Chris Rose. Well, this is an interesting question. Because I think uh, 20 years ago it was overrated. Now I think it's become underrated with my generation. Because I'm not a turkey guy, but I'm all about everything that's on the side. And I think people people like to brush over Thanksgiving, go straight to Christmas. I get it. Christmas is a big time holiday. But I'm going to go with underrated because I'm a Thanksgiving appreciator. I It's my favorite meal of the year. Probably yeah. because it was my dad's favorite holiday. And so I always... Maybe that's tugging at my heartstrings on top mm-hmm. of everything else. But why is it that we only eat stuffing one time a year? It is so it's good. delicious. Like I would even get a box of stovetop and make that shit just like <laughs> in some random May. I think maybe I'll do that. But, you know, if you do it, you're going to get weird looks from people that know. see it because it's it's the one thing you place with that holiday. You know, it's a messed do, up world. Do, cranberry sales. Do they actually happen on any other time of the year? Are people buying cranberry in July? I'm out on cranberry sauce. I'm out on it. Yeah, I don't know. Never been in on it. Interesting. All right, listen, go have fun with your family. I hope you enjoy the holiday. And thanks so much for the late pinch-hitting call. You are always defendable and always great at this. So thank Appreciate you Appreciate you, that. Chris Rose. Hopefully our friend Trevor Plew is feeling yeah. good. Yeah, well, we don't want to. Hopefully he didn't listen to the last part of the show today because he's yeah, probably, seriously. you know, praying to the porcelain god if so. All right, <laughs> um, for our one-of-a-kind producer, Dan Rohr, and the uber-talented Jolly Olive filling in for Trevor Plouffe, I am Chris Rose. We will see you next Monday on baseball today. Have a great Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble.